That's oh, what that's what breakfast is. Yeah, I know. It spoiled it. The stupid oh, okay. the stupid okay. voice just went, Oh, this meeting is being recorded. I mean that you would have to then edit a small amount. No, I'm not. I'm just I'm now we're starting the podcast with me disappointed okay. of the fact that I couldn't start it unbeknownst to you like I always do because the bloody nice. thing had to go this meeting's being recorded piss yeah. off sorry I forgot to untick the appropriate box come on producer bell producer bell I'm not producer anymore you're the host yeah I am the host that's what that's it's what a producer does no producers do all that other stuff that's what that's why they're called producers anyways I'm not going to get into the technical crap I almost um, died um, because I tried, I literally have, this is my breakfast, my, my break fast, which I mm-hmm. had to explain to Gavin. I see the one bite, one bite out of it and it tried to kill me. So my voice might be a little shivery at, at points, which we apologize for, but I'm recovering from almost death Okay, uh, at this moment. I, I also wanted to tell this story, though, about I. So we've been off for a couple of weeks. I think we're starting season two now, as Gavin just kind of decided. We took a week off because we needed it. Yeah. Um, and it actually worked out anyways, because Formula One starts this weekend, which we'll talk about in a moment. But we're we're going with season two. Are we are we definite on that? question mark i mean the next season of formula one starts this weekend we might as well so we'll just we'll just go with it again well, this is season two we're definite now yeah official making it a thing so it's season two and on 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 our off week it was the finale of the bachelor and there's a bunch of people that i'm around primarily the Burlington Barracudas who enjoy watching The Bachelor. So I gave in and I tried. Why can we can, can we dissect why people like this show? Why um, do people why do people feast on it's the same unintelligent? People, no, 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 right. It's the same everyone kind of enjoys these kind of things. It's the same reason that people like um what's the word I'm looking for? No, not Love Island. It's the same people reason people like Extenders and all that kind of stuff. People mm-hmm. like drama. Yeah, reality TV, like right? Stuff. Yeah. Some people like it. I don't understand it personally. It doesn't work in my brain. But there is an element I can understand where in reality we kind of in our own way enjoy a version of reality TV because as much as our interest in sport comes from who's going to win, there is also that reality TV side of that. That's why drive to survive does so well because just the race is very interesting. I like just the race, but formula one's watchership and how many people are interested in one formula one has doubled since drive to survive because the drivers are now people and you have a deeper understanding of them, you know? Right. And they have massive personalities because they've all got gigantic egos and that when they clash, that's very entertaining to watch them just claw at each other. 
like that's angry the reality cats. TV show of it part, right? Know? Which is fair. I guess that's a good way to go into Formula One then and just yeah. get as far away from the Bachelor as we possibly can. Mm-hmm. So Verstappen's on pole. Yes. It's very good. I think we're all excited about that. We all like Verstappen. And then Hamilton and Bottas are second and third. Whoop-dee-hooray. What did we expect? And well, parent- so it's, But it's not... No? It's not that simple. Because, I mean, it's the same three guys that were in the top three, I would say, about 75% of the time last year. Um, in the top three not. once more. So, why is it showing me 20? The F- Formula One's website is the worst, most unnavigatable piece of crap that, oh, it's just awful. Oh, I just I just Google it, and Google gives me the... Okay. entire setup right there so it is a lot closer than people suspect i mean it is i mean it's it's verstappen's one minute 28.997 mm-hmm. hamilton's one minute 29.385 so that's four hundredths of a second yeah but is that- one tw- one minute 29.586 so that's two one hundredths of a second so last year, Mercedes were out qualifying people by a second to a second and a half. I was going to say, yeah, like a massive gap. So actually, if we look at it this year, Verstappen has done a 128.9. Yeah. Fine. Hamilton behind him is 400th of a second back. Yeah, I did, I did out- just say all of this. Yeah. Yeah. But the thing you've got to look at is you have to get down to seventh before Mercedes are more than 400th of a second faster than everyone. Right. So that's that's the thing you've got to look at. I mean, admittedly, yes, you've then got signs who's, I would say, uh, 600th of a second behind them. So if we include signs all the way down to eight, eight, everyone is within under half a second. So they have admittedly this year run away with it last sorry last year they run away with it but this year they are closer so i think with different tracks and different setups and stuff like that and given the fact that this is a lot of the time a lot of the people looking down this are in different cars than they were last year i think that there's a lot of drivers could, that could make this a lot closer than it was and i don't think that this race tomorrow is going to be as open and shut as people think it is well, and just to just to add some context too, it's Leclerc in fourth, Gasly in fifth, Ricardo Norris, sixth mm. and seventh. So the, the two McLarens. Yeah. Gasly being up in fifth in the Alpha Tauri is is very promising, a mm. very promising start for him. And I mean, he had a very promising end to last season as well, which is I think I'm most excited for Pierre Gasly right now, right at this moment, and to yeah. see what he does tomorrow. Yeah, me too, um, because he does have excellent racecraft. The thing mm. for me that is a very interesting thing, and it would be interesting to see how this goes for the rest of the season, because I don't think first qualifying session we can comment, but Sonoda, who is very quickly finding his way into my heart through his driving style, um, 
and Gasly are very close. They're, they're very close in their lap times. Um, and the fact that Gasly is able to put it in fifth shows how much, yeah, how great and how easy, much he's enjoying that AlphaTauri car. You then have the difference between Sonoda and Perez. Uh, you know, Sonoda and Gasly is five position. Uh, sorry, seven positions. Perez and Verstappen is ten positions. Mm. So the gap between the Red Bulls is still very large, whereas the gap between the Alpha Tauris is coming down. Being it's his first Formula One qualifying, not no one really expected much from Sonoda. And then in qualifying one, he just pulled an absolute worldly of a lap. I mean, if you look over some of his onboards in uh, the early practice sessions, he's full send. There's no half send about it. I mean, at one point he comes up to the first corner way too fast, misses the breaking point by about 25, 30 metres, turns it in, four-wheel drift, catches it. And still holds it down. And still continues on. And you're just watching it and going, what the? (laughs) And he's just like, there is no, I think from, from this first qualifying session, there is no pressure on Sonoda that it's his first season in F1 he's got to achieve. He's doing very well already. Well, and, and what gets me is that I think there's less of an expectation on Sonoda where there's more of an expectation on Schumacher and Mazepin who are yeah. in arguably a inferior car. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Nikita Mazepin is Nikita Mazepin. But, I mean, they were 19th and 20th in this qualifying. They were at the bottom, where we're used to seeing the Williams, who were not at the bottom, but, you know, they were further back. Yeah. Um, But Russell and Latifi are going to work with what they can. Now, I think, uh, I believe Latifi has been given a a penalty or something like that, because Russell's... I didn't get to see it, but Russell's time is actually higher than Latifi's. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're being a lot harder on track track limits this year. Um, right. The problem was last year that was it was fully dependent on the marshals at the circuit. Um, so, you know, the drivers would basically over the course of the weekend, if your white line's here, the we the you know the the inside tire would. I'm trying to find something to demonstrate an inside tire. Let's say this light is the inside tire. It would start off at the weekend that they, you know, it would be inside it. And then it would start to creep. And then by qualifying, they'd be over here and no one would be calling track limits. And for a lot of the commentators, it was just kind of, it became one of those jokey things of, it's well, like- yeah. Like, I mean, Imola, it, it's, it's hilarious. It's a common joke in motorsport that in the UK, it's too, it's, it's two wheels off the grass, uh, two wheels over the line in um, like the rest of Europe and the rest of the world. It's two wheels and then the start of the the other two wheels can touch it. And in Italy, there's no such thing as the line. You can go four wheels off. And if you watch some of the onboards where they're calling track limits in Imola, like, well, one track limits wasn't called. At one point, Charles Leclerc goes about five, 10 meters outside of the track limits, brings himself back on and then gets a qualifying lap. And I'm watching the onboard and going, 
if he can see the white line himself and looks at it and go, I think I'm outside of track limits. I think I missed it. Yeah, it's like he's just gone. He's you just, he's just, but then, he, but then he is a Ferrari at Imola. So yeah. I think if, a, you know, or Mugello, it's, they're not going to get called for it. No one's going to go. Um, it is interesting to see that um, Ferrari have evidently fixed the problem with their engine. Mm. So, well, we, I mean, it's just qualifying, but it, it, uh-huh. it seems that at least they're doing better, right? I mean, with Leclerc in fourth and Science in eighth. Mm-hmm. That's that's a significant improvement to where we saw Science and Vettel last year. I mean, it, well, we say that Science was usually a, like peaking around the 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 tenth place area, give or take. Science was at McLaren last year. I think you're talking yeah. about Leclerc. Or sorry, yeah, Leclerc. He was you know peaking mm-hmm. around the top ten area, but I mean Vettel is in eighteenth in the in the Aston. But there was another issue with Vettel's lap as well, right? Yeah, um, basically, he it's to be expected with two drivers that are brand new into F1. Um, they're still trying to get used to how the F1 kind of thing works. Because if you consider in F2, you can do a lot of setup to an F2 car. But it isn't, you know, normally you've got a pretty good starting point to work with. But with a with this team of two rookies, they it's going to be difficult for them to find setup because before what it would be, you know, let's say for example, if they had a Grosjean in the car and then they had a rookie, they would send Grosjean out. Grosjean would go set the car up like this. This is how it works. They would set both cars up at a standard level, and then the junior or rookie driver could kind of go, well, let me see if I want to move a little bit outside of this or a little bit outside of that and move either way, and you know then. The setup would stay pretty pretty much the same as the other car, but they would find how they like it. Mm. With these two, they're starting from nothing. So Nikita Mazepin is having a lot of difficulty with the balance of his car. So I think he's having a lot of problems with rear brake bias because uh, he seems to lock the rears and then that's what sends it sideways. Um, but I think this is just one of those things that the situation at Haas, I think is going to be very interesting this year because... They are focusing more on spending their money on the 2022 car when the rules completely change. So they can come into that and make their leaps and bounds there instead of focusing on this year's car. So really, I don't know if their car is going to improve very much. I don't know what their plans are. Um, But they are more in competition with each other than they are with the rest of the grid, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it'll be... I guess it's going to be about the same then as, well, no, what am I saying? I guess it's going to just be a, a trial run almost, or like a practice year or a, an initiative year for Schumacher and Mazepin then is kind of what you're saying, where they're going to yeah, it's a, it's a figure it's out the Formula One landscape. How it works, all this kind of stuff. It's and then they'll like- get the good car next year. Yeah. Um, it's a, Makes it's sense. almost a mulligan for them this year. Yeah. So it's going to be kind of, well, they're going to be judged against their teammates. Um, they're not really going to be overall judged against everyone else. Um, I think they'd like to be, but I don't think that's where Haas are this year. 
Um, the interesting thing for me that I don't really understand is obviously Haas the same as um, Alfa Romeo buy their engines from Ferrari. And it seems that the Alfa Romeo has massively leapt and bound from last year. It's it's right mm. up there now. And the Haas, Haas hasn't, so I don't know what's going on there because um, the most important thing for me over testing is I was looking at the speed traps because that is where the, the only thing that you can tell of full pace because they have to be going at full speed. That's why I'm so interested in uh, McLaren this year because even through qualifying, the McLarens, both Daniel and Norris, were both two or three miles an hour quicker through the speed traps than everyone else. Mm. Even the fact that they were out qualified today, they were still faster than Mercedes through the speed traps. So that's more interesting to me. But I am also trying to figure out where the power has gone because if, uh, if Haas have received the same engine that... Um, sorry, they've received the same engine that Alfa Romeo have. I don't understand where that's, that mile per hour difference is coming from because the engine gearbox, fuel and uh, engine maps will all be identical in those cars. Well, and that's what I was going to say is because the Alphas are basically in the same areas as they were last year. You know, Giovinazzi and Raikkonen, you know, flip-flopping in the kind of low middle teens area for, you know, basically every race. And that's what we've got here. Giovinazzi in 12th and Raikkonen in 14th. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to get your opinion before we move on we'll get we'll get to the nfl next because we've got massive trades and uh, signings to discuss there a couple of big ones but for um for alpine i mean you've you said that you've told me in the offs in the off week that uh fernando alonso is not going to do anything and i just think you're nuts and there he is in ninth place so that's doing something at least with alpine but mm-hmm. Esteban Ocon sits in 16th right now. Is is that a one-off, do you think? I don't know. Um, yeah. I think that Alpine are... It's, it's a difficult one because there's a big change-up. So what Renault have done was now that... Um, Renault F1 used to be the motorsport Renault F1 side. And um, then you had Alpine, which was their kind of... The Alpine 8 10100 was a sports car they made. Um, and they're also venturing into the hypercar category at Le Mans. So to put it all under one banner, they've made Alpine, the Formula One team, under the same building. So it's no longer Sidere uh, Seidel, who was running Renault F1, He's no longer any any part of F1. No one really knows where he's gone. I, I have research. I can't see where he's gone. Um, mm. But the same people, the same management that are looking after the Formula One team are also looking after the Le Mans team and looking after road car development. Um, I, I struggle with Alonso's return um, because I think that he can be very good. There's no doubt that Alonso is a good Formula One driver. Um, but Renault's plan, as it was been explained in the media, was Daniel Ricciardo. They'd been building a car around Daniel Ricciardo, how Daniel Ricciardo liked to drive, how Daniel Ricciardo wanted to be. And he was kind of their champion. He was the person that they wanted to put money behind, support behind. Daniel Ricciardo, go. And I think he saw that they weren't going to. It's it's, it's all down to them, um, really, as was what happened. I know that they aren't happy about it. Um, but 
I think the, Daniel Ricciardo's final thing, the final kind of thing was McLaren delivered on their promise and Renault didn't. So he said that was his main reason for going. Um, but that's all quoted. He said that himself. I think the thing for me is that Alonso has kind of, he's had multiple returns after his championship winning seasons into Formula One. When he won in the Renault, he then went to Ferrari um, and then retired and then came back with McLaren. When that didn't work, he kind of went to IndyCar and now he's come back with Renault. It's, um, He's got talent, he's put it in ninth, but I don't know where their race pace is. Um, I also, I think that it's going to be very, very difficult. The, the person I really worry for is Esteban Ocon, um, because he was out-qualified all last year by Daniel Ricciardo, um, which is obviously a difficult one. He's on a two-year contract. So in this, coming into his second year of his contract, he has to beat his teammate. That's There's no two ways around that. And unfortunately... His teammate is a two-time world champion in Fernando Alonso. So I don't. when I say I don't think they're going to do anything, I think they will have some very good race results because I think the intellect and the, the race craft of Fernando Alonso is very, very good. But I don't think that their car is going to be at a point where Fernando can challenge the likes of Lewis and the likes of Max. Right. Now, I see this in two ways. I see Alonso's return as a trial for another world championship, which I don't think is going to happen. But I also see this as a push for Esteban Ocon, for them to go, okay, you had a rough time out qualifying Daniel Ricciardo last year. We're going to bring in this experienced guy in Alonso, and you can either learn from him and try to beat him mm-hmm. or get beaten by him, and then we probably won't sign you again or renew your contract. Well, Esteban Ocon is also on the Mercedes, his young driver thing. He's, he's, he's a bit like George Russell. His manager is Toto Wolf. Right, but if I'm Toto and I'm picking between Russell and Ocon, I'm picking Russell. And I think yeah. they've already made that clear by the fact that it was Russell that substituted in for Lewis and not Ocon. Yes. Um, I don't know how the contracts were structured. I don't know if it was different that way. Um, the thing yeah, I mean, me, they may not have been able to do that either, yeah. which is fair. This is a very important year for a couple of people. It's very important for uh, Valtteri Bottas. Um, yeah. It's very important for Esteban Ocon. Um, I think there's a few other people further down the grid that can kind of almost got a mulligan, not a mulligan year because I don't think that's the thing that anyone has. I think every single race result is. Um, I think that tomorrow's race is going to be a very interesting one because we have so many different people and different manufacturers, very high up, very talented. I mean, Verstappen is going to be good. There's no two ways around that. He's put it on pole, but he's got mirrors full of Hamilton and Bottas. Okay, fine. Behind him, you've got Leclerc, who Leclerc's race craft is incredible. And then Gasly, who to me, Pierre Gasly has got so he's proven everything he needs to prove, but it's been said to him that he's not going to be able to go to like the Red Bull are like, well, we're happy with you at AlphaTauri. We're not going to move you to the to the Red Bull. So I think he's kind of eyeing up where he may go next. I don't know. 
Um, well, and if I was Gasly, I almost wouldn't want to go to the Red Bull until they decide to actually design a car that can be driven by somebody other than Max Verstappen. <laughs> um, Ricardo and Ricardo and Norris. I mean, I think the, the biggest compliment is that Dan, Norris is the. He said it himself. The difficulties he had was in his first year. He would qualify well, and then he would go backwards. You know, people would overtake him and all this kind of stuff. His second year, he managed to overtake and go a couple of places forward. Well, if you want to partner someone that can teach you how to overtake, you've got to go with the king of the late breakers, the honey badger, Daniel Ricciardo. Now, there is no one in that top five that I don't believe that a McLaren with good race pace can't overtake. We saw it last year that when... Hamilton and Bottas started on the medium compound tyres, all of a sudden, signs in a McLaren came whipping past them, and then Norris came whipping past them. So tomorrow, I think that if the Mercedes don't get off to a good start, we could very quickly have this order be completely different. But there's so much talent there, I don't know who it could be. Well, and Norris, I think I'm saying I think I'm saying this right, but I'm probably mm. not because portions of seconds are confusing yeah. but if i'm saying this correctly norris was five tenths of a second behind norris yeah right 129.927 for ricardo 129.974 for norris yeah. so it like and hairline the, <laughs> the improvement is on along the same lines as well so yeah. In Q1, Ricardo did a 130.7. Norris did a 130.9. Q2, a 130.2. Norris did a 130.09. In Q3, Norris did a 129.9. Norris did a 129.7. So you're steadily, talking, steadily moving up. Yeah. Both of them. You're talking a a, a second later on the, you know, not even a second later on the brakes. I mean, yeah, a, an ounce of pressure more on the brake pedal, or you know, a, a couple of millimeters on a line, and those two are, yeah. They basically drove the exact same laps, and it's yeah. going to be very fun. I mean, tomorrow's going to be very fun to watch. Bahrain being the starting Grand Prix now, mm -hmm. when it's usually Australia, the because the schedule's sort of been thrown into a blender, which I mean, we all understand why. Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, that makes this season again more interesting instead yeah. of, you know, and I almost think they should go ahead with this similar format in the sense of mm -hmm. you change things around every year, you know, so I that like, it's like the changing things around. I think yeah, because it, it, it just felt so now that we've had everything changed around mm -hmm. all the previous world championship circuits just feel so routine and just kind of, oh, yeah. We're off to Japan now. Mm -hmm. And it's like, because we've always gone to Japan at this time. And now we're off to, you know, Azerbaijan, because we've always gone to Azerbaijan at this time. And it's like, okay. I mean, I think I th there's, a, there's a certain limit to like. Yeah, I mean, scheduling and flying yeah. things around and shipping um, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But I would like them if they're going to do, let's say, for example, we have to have 20 races a year at certain places. Well, let's say that we, you know, let's chuck in four, like ones that the guys just don't even know about. 
So, you know, circuit that you've not gone to in 25 years. Go back. A really interesting one for me would be that this year at Le Mans, normally they they close the they close the roads around Le Mans and make it the circuit, which is a category one circuit, which Formula One could race at, to my knowledge. Mm. Um, They could they've they're going to do it on the Thursday. So instead of having some pointless testing sessions, you could go to the Formula One boys, go, right, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you can have the Le Mans track. Now, that would be an eight and a half mile circuit. Wow. So you'd probably have to do a few less laps. Mm. But imagine that. Because Le Mans circuit has the longest back straight in any, even with the two chicanes, it has the longest back straight. So it'd be probably one of the four and a half miles long. It'd be sorry, Gavin. It'd be probably one of the longest um, DRS zones in Formula One. Yeah, that would that would be a lot of fun. Yeah, it'd be interesting. You know what's? You know what else has been a lot of fun? Watching the Forty Niners do whatever the hell they're doing right now. Um, I don't what the. So the San Francisco 49ers have acquired the number three selection in next month's draft. They sold the farm to get it, though. They literally sold the farm, their wife and kids, and everything else because they had to give up their original 2021. So their 12th round, 12th overall pick. Mm -hmm. Um, And... There then two more future first round picks in 2022 and 2023, and a third round pick, I believe, in 2022 or 23 as well. So they traded three first round picks for and a third for one pick. So the the, the, the the Miami Dolphins now have three extra first round picks. Well, I say three, two extra yeah. in the fall in the next in the subsequent two years. The way I was the way I was thinking about this was I was like, if I'm San Francisco Well, I'm not done yet. Oh, because then the Dolphins traded with the Philadelphia Eagles to move up to number six on the draft board. So the Dolphins moved down from three to 12 and then went back up to six by trading with the Philadelphia Eagles, who are significantly worse off than either of those two aforementioned teams. Like if anybody needs a quarterback outside of the top two in the Jags and the Jets, it's the Eagles, is it not? So this is the thing that doesn't make sense to me from San Francisco's point of view. Because yeah. San Francisco, when they, you know, two years ago when they had Jimmy G, they were a good team. They're a playoff team. They've got one of the best tight ends in Jimmy they G. Went, and, they went to the Super Bowl. Yeah. So your issue is is that Jimmy G got injured. Okay, fine. Twice. Twice. So you need Jimmy G to be healthy for a year and you need a good backup. You could have got a good backup at 12. Quite easily. But even in the worst case scenario, it's right. The worst case scenario would be San Francisco draft whoever they draft at number three. 
and then for the next three years go to the Super Bowl and win the Super Bowl, you've still given up three first-round picks, which is, you know, worst-case scenario, three 30-second picks. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense. Well, and on top of that, they've gone and quashed the whole rumor of them trying to get a good quarterback at third. Because obviously you're not going to get Trevor Lawrence. I'm sorry, but the Jaguars would be brain dead to pass on that man. Mm-hmm. So they would get one of th- one of either Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, or Trey Lance. But the 49ers have gone, oh, no, we're not doing that because it's not necessarily our intent to draft a quarterback at third because current starter Jimmy Garoppolo is still in our plans because the general manager, John Lynch, immediately said that, oh, once we finalized the trade, the first thing we did was call Jimmy and let him know that, you know, he's still our guy. But that doesn't make sense to me. Right. So I really, I really don't understand what they're doing here. And what this means for the Dolphins is that, I mean, just (laughs) their their draft (laughs) board now is, wow. Well done. I'm trying, I'm trying to be, I'm trying to be sophisticated. No. And talk about actually a quite quite an interesting trade here. Can I just clarify something? You are wearing boxers pants, right? Don't. Am I? Don't. Don't really. <laughs> this is why. This is why I can't have a career. Is this why? Yeah. This is why. This is okay, why I can't have a career. So for me, Gavin, so Gavin, hold on before Gavin, we before Gavin we carry on. As as I was saying before, Sean rudely interrupted us with his nakedness. It's kind of weird though that I don't have like my clothes on, and then the the next thing behind me is a DSLR (laughs) set up for the corner. Yeah, that's the weird part. Self tapes, self tapes. That's the weird. Go ahead, Jared. Go ahead. I'm listening. Not your naked body on our podcast. Um, (laughs) I mean, just look at these picks now that Miami has. They've got. Two firsts this year in sixth, and they're and they've still got their own at eighteen. They've got San Francisco's pick next year. They don't have their first round pick next year, which is um, not sure why that happened. But and then they've got two first round picks in twenty twenty three. Now they are going to be very good in the next three years. You hope. Well, you if hope. they're if they're not then they really screwed the pooch on this on this drafting board here because i mean you've got five first round picks in 3 years like that's, that's just they could ludicrous. begin to rebuild their team like from scratch okay. and just go yep the yep. dolphins aren't that bad that they need no, to rebuild they don't no, and that's what they i mean get more people into it that's what i mean and if if the if the, if the San Francisco 49ers don't do world beating things with mm-hmm. this trade that they've just made and the draft pick that they make at third overall and mm-hmm. don't start winning immediately those first round picks are going to be rather high for the Miami Dolphins so i 
Gav and I are both on the same page with this. I, neither of us really understand. I mean, the There's only team that's winning, in my opinion, is the Dolphins here. Oh, the Dolphins have, yeah. the Dolphins general manager has basically just gone, you want to give, like, that's one of those things that you, you put out there and go, you know, I, I want you to give us a first, your first round this year, second round and third rounder. In mm. fact, actually, even in the movie Draft Day, which is a very good movie, the guy who is the general manager of the Browns wants to get the first overall pick. He gives up a first rounder and a second rounder to get the number one overall pick. And the guy, the general manager, the ma- like owner of the club flies back to fire him. So if you're the general manager of the San Francisco, who's just given up three years of first round picks, which you're not going to get back. Yeah. There's no way the Dolphins aren't going to give them back to you. Either you have your eyes on someone very special at third overall, which I can't think who's going to be because the only argument at the moment, yeah, the only argument that I can see from people at the moment is who's going first overall. Now, Jared is in the mindset that Trevor Lawrence is going first overall. Well, the only person to beat Trevor Lawrence in a college football game was Justin Fields. That's the only person that's done it. Justin, Justin Fields, Fields is not going first overall. No, Justin Fields may not be going first overall, but the only person that's beat Trevor Lawrence is Justin Fields, and Trevor Lawrence has just had shoulder surgery. Now, it's not on his throwing shoulder, but he has had a surgery. Okay. So there is an argument that of which order those two go. Does one go number one? Does one go number two? There no, isn't really. an argument. The guy could throw footballs with his other arm and his sling and he'd still be better than Fields. I'm sorry. This guy is a generational talent. He's going first overall. Yeah, I can't. <laughs> it's just I'm trying to find I'm trying to find justification for this Mm-mm. because he's not you're, not, you're not going to because it 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 gets even worse because the Eagles right we we we've 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 forgotten about the Eagles portion yeah. of this for a second okay. so that's where the Dolphins 2022 first round pick went okay to the Eagles so the Eagles traded their first round pick sixth overall this okay. year for the Dolphins' first-round pick next year. And I, it doesn't really say if there were any other pieces in it or not. I didn't see mm-hmm. an announcement of it, so obviously it wasn't a huge deal uh, unless I just missed it. Yeah. But even so, your team sucks. I'm sorry. The Eagles are bad, and you're actively trading away the sixth overall pick in a very deep draft a very mm-hmm. deep quarterback draft well, and going to go with, and you're going to go with Jalen hurts as your number one guy this season. I don't think the Eagles plan is, I think that the Eagles need to get out of some financial trouble because their very first thing was getting rid of Wentz, which freed up some space money wise. Yeah. I think that this year for them is going to be, let's try and be an eight and eight team. Let's try and draft someone to it's give us some happen. forward. I... They've got to be. They've got to get better. They've got to get better because mm-hmm. so they've kept their first round pick for next year. They potentially have three first round picks next year. Okay, I understand that. What I don't understand is why you're delaying the rebuild by a year when you know you're this bad. 
yes, they're in salary cap trouble and they need to, but they need to fill a lot of holes on the roster. And I think, I think this maybe explains the salary cap problem because if you draft someone at what is it, sixth overall they had? They had six and they've dra- they've traded down to 12. Yeah. Okay. So if you draft someone at six overall, that's a big hit to the salary cap because there's a signing bonus. Hmm. That there's then a big, you know, you drafted me six overall, where's the salary? So maybe the, the whole reason for the Eagles' entire trouble is just a financial problem. Also, Sean, can you put a shirt on? Because every now and again, I get a tease of nipple. It's very distracting. I was going to say, because since we're talking about something that you have zero negative interest in, do you mind clothing yourself? I think that's about it for that particular it, trade. It's, I mean, it's NFL offseason. There's not a massive amount. The thing that did make me laugh about the San Francisco trade was that um, I can't remember who it was, but someone tweeted at George Kittle, who is there, obviously their their tight end, and went, "What the hell's going on, George?" And he just replied, mm-hmm. "I don't, man. I just, I don't know, man. I just work there." So <laughs> even the players, even the players don't like. Even the players can't stand behind this trade and go, "Yeah, that makes sense." Right. I just it, don't know. Yeah, because because it doesn't. Yeah. Right. It's like we had oh, a debate. We had a debate on. Uh, I mean, it was a very small debate, but we had a bit more of said debate uh, while we were waiting for Sean to join us on uh, Papua New Guinness, which mm-hmm. is our new Rocket League team, uh, on Thursday, when it was announced that the Arizona Cardinals are signing Malcolm Butler. After already signing J.J. Watt. And having two of the top 10 receivers no. in the NFL. No. Uh, well, they certainly no, have at least two. one. Not certainly two. have at least one. Certainly, I, they, I, can't argue, I can't argue that they don't have at least one. In DeAndre Hopkins. In DeAndre Hopkins. Can't argue that. But the Arizona Cardinals are... Career. Pardon? Larry Fitzgerald is on the downwards turn of his career. Um, I'm going to just make sure of that. Um, The Arizona Cardinals are gearing up to contend this season. And I believe that they will. Gavin apparently seems to think that they're not even going to be in the running for anything. But their defensive line, just to go through it, now, uh, now has... Um, yeah, so their their defensive depth chart now has J.J. Watt, Rashad Lawrence, mm. and Malcolm Butler on it. Malcolm Butler's a cornerback. Yeah, that's the deep... I said depth chart. I know I originally said defensive line, but I've said depth chart now because I'm correcting okay. myself. I know, um, you don't usually. <laughs> I Look... I, I can get what you're saying about yes, they will be a contender, and I can I can see them making the playoffs. But they should have made the playoffs this year. I just don't think, compared to the other teams that are going to be making the playoffs, that they're going to be able to do it. Can you can you look me look me and Sean in the eye because Bell's doing something else, and tell me that that Arizona Cardinals team will be able to beat Patrick Mahomes? Probably. I don't see why they couldn't. Really? I mean, other teams, other screen. teams, other teams beat Patrick Mahomes screen. last year. No, look at the screen. Look directly at your camera. I've looked at it. I yeah. Want to be able to, I want to be able to crop this and play it back. 
look at the screen and say that the Arizona Cardinals will beat Patrick Mahomes and his Chiefs. Well, look, let's see here. Let me go back to the schedule of the, the Chiefs here. That's not the question. Yeah, I know, but I'm I'm making a point here. <laughs> you, you, you're making a point, but the point... <laughs> I'm making a point here that the Las Vegas Raiders beat the Chiefs, and so did the uh, Los Angeles Chargers. Now, the Chargers was the last game before the playoffs. But... The Raiders beat them in week five. It's not impossible. And they had some pretty bad opponents going forward. I mean, New England, Denver, New York, that's the Jets, Carolina, Vegas again, where they barely beat Vegas, Denver, Atlanta, and they lost to the Chargers. Oh, sorry. And they beat the Texans in, in week one. I mean, their schedule wasn't exactly difficult. So, yes, I believe that the Arizona Cardinals are a better team this year than the Las Vegas Raiders were last year and have the opportunity to beat the Chiefs. It was careful language there. You can't even tell me that that wasn't careful language because you said the opportunity to beat the Chiefs. Yeah, everyone has I'm the opportunity thinking... to beat everyone. You're not even giving them the opportunity to do so because you don't I'm think right, they're no, going to be good enough. I, I think they have the opportunity, but oh, I'm saying of, okay. all talented, of all the talented football teams out there, I don't think that they're talented enough. I don't think they're talented enough to beat the Browns. I don't think they're talented enough to beat the Bills. Mm, disagree there. <laughs> Right, anyway, you're going to look... They pretty... they are as talented now as the Bills. They have yeah. a solid they have a solid top 10 wide receiver, a solid young quarterback who's coming into his own, a solid defensive line uh where the Bills are maybe not as strong now. Uh-huh. Uh and Malcolm Butler at cornerback as well. Okay, so none of that's going to matter when the Patriots somehow get Trevor Lawrence and we become a dominating powerhouse for the next 10 years again. Okay, you see, now, you, now you're just speaking <sighs> out of your you, rear end. If you asked Patriots fans, which me and Sean both are, what we would give to have the number one overall pick to get this guy at quarterback, I, I mean, I... If, if it required me starting an OnlyFans, I'd consider it. You don't have enough assets to get it. You could See trade picks, your bro. entire See team picks. and it wouldn't happen. Could we trade Belichick? Would that be possible? No. Could we trade Belichick? Probably should. And it wouldn't be, be worth it. Put him in a home. Part of me thought it... that, Jared, um, when you said you don't have enough assets, I thought you meant towards Gavin for starting an OnlyFans. I mean that not too. <laughs> They're both valid points. They're both valid points. I don't think any of the three gentlemen have any assets that would be interesting on an OnlyFans. Watch watch it. It's just lit a fire. (laughs) My OnlyFans is going so well. What's that? I swear, if I hear the fire alarm go off. No, it's fine. Just hold um, it to hold it a little closer to the detector and see what. Light a few other things on fire, you know. Concerned. Yeah, it'll be good. Uh, anything else you want to discuss in the NFL? Because I think I've made my point. 
Uh, no, not really. Um, I mean, apparently no one really knows what's going on with Deshaun Watson. The Texans are still like, we'll make him play. And you're like, his entire problem with, with, was with the management yeah. of white men telling him what was going on in his life. So maybe go turning around and your operative way being, we're going to tell you what you're going to do. Isn't going to work. Yeah. The man only asked that when you were deciding what you were going to do with the franchise that he is the face of, that he was involved in the conversation and you didn't do that. So now you're going to just tell him he's going to play football and... It's not gone well. No. Yeah. Right, so then the second last topic... Well, actually, you know what? I'll, I'll do some positive hockey stuff before we get into the Tim Peel firing is, by the is NHL. Is that a thing? Is that a thing? Is yeah, because the NW stuff? because the NWHL started up their playoffs again last night. It's a one. Well, that is positive. It's a That's one and done. Uh, but the Toronto Six. So it's it's like positive and negative because the Toronto Six unfortunately lost. It was a you, like I say it's a close game in the sense of like it was a battled game, but the score was six two. So it wasn't a close game on the scoreboard but they battled hard in the game. It wasn't like they got steamrolled, which is exactly what happened to the Connecticut Whale in the next game because uh, the Minnesota Whitecaps beat them 7 nothing. So that wasn't Jeez. even close. Yeah, it was two blowouts, one of which was an entertaining blowout and the other of which was a blowout in every aspect. Need some traits. Uh, but tonight is the, tonight is the Isabel Cup between the Boston Pride and the Minnesota Whitecaps. And it's funny because, well, it's not even funny. It's just destiny because these, this was the matchup that was supposed to play last year before they canceled uh, the playoffs because of COVID. So okay. that's tonight in Canada. You can watch it on Twitch if you'd like. It is also on NBCSN. And I actually think... I'm actually not sure if Sportsnet's going to pick it up or not because it is Hockey Night in Canada. And this is, to just to make a small point, with when, when you're trying to promote something that is the same sport as, as something else, I am a little confused as to why you would put it up against the biggest night in hockey in Canada. Um, I know it's an American-run league, and they're not as concerned about Hockey Night in Canada as they are in Canada, and I mean even less so now that the Canadian team has been knocked out. But it 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 does confuse me as to why you would try, like, why are you trying to compete against the NHL for viewership when you're putting your games on at the same time? And this kind of goes for this kind of goes for most other like um, other leagues and sports outside of the Big Four. I know there's you know scheduling comes into play and things like that, but w when you're tr when you're actively trying to build a fan base for something, why are you putting it up against the people that you're trying to draw fans from? You know what I mean? That's a good point. So I just, and, and we've seen it done by both the NWHL and the PWHPA. For whatever reason, they are like, oh yeah, Saturday night, it'll be great for hockey. And I go, yes, it is. Because that's why there's 10 NHL games on a Saturday night. 
Yeah, that, nobody nobody's gonna watch the right. NWHL over over an NHL team. Right. And like it sucks to say, and I hope to God that changes one day where people actually like will have to decide between the two. But yeah, that's yeah, it's just it's, it's just, just an poor, un- it's, poor marketing, poor yeah, marketing, poor it's planning. It's just an unfortunate reality. Yeah. So you know, if you're gonna have the if you're gonna have a game at four thirty or something like that, perfect, right? Four thirty on a Saturday afternoon gets you gets it done right before hockey night in Canada starts. You know, yeah. guys, three man, right? Guys Dude like us three, can two. watch Who hockey. Cares? Guys can guys like us watch hockey all day. And, you know, we'll just vegetate on a couch and watch well, hockey. It doesn't matter who. My, my favorite part of the World Juniors, dude. Yeah. You get games at like 12, 1, 2. Yeah. Like, I'll watch, watch hockey anytime. You have a day of I, hockey. I do Perfect. have to apologize. I did actually have to run down and get some literal sausage. Yes. Gavin had to go grab his sausage for a moment, folks. It's I do okay. apologize. Not very professional on the podcasting front. Yeah, okay. At least it's safe and wrapped. So Yeah. The one thing that no, I... No, no accidents. Got to use no. protection, right? The one thing that I was thinking and considering was that why don't they do it like the feature races that they do before, before Formula One? So let's say, for example, if you're going to go to a game, if you're going to go and watch Formula One, now they don't broadcast it on the TV, which is annoying, um, but in your ticket price to go and watch the Formula One on a Sunday, you get a day full of races. So maybe I think that should be something that Formula One should do as well as the hockey is that, okay, well... Right, you've come to watch the the Leafs play the Detroit Red, Red Wings. Cool. Well, their two female teams are also going to play a game before. Right. Because if you told me that, I'd be like, "That's Sweet. brilliant." I'd be like, "Well, two hockey games for the price of one." Cool. Because I'm going to come in. You know, it's a night out. I'm going to come in, and you know, me and Jared, I think when we went and watched hockey in Canada, we sat in a bar across the road and drank beers while watching another game. So. Yep. Okay, fine. We'll come into the game a bit early and let's let's drink some beers while we watch the, you know, the the female game and then okay. And then everybody's merry because you're sloshed by the time the men start. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it would always it would always be that way. Right. But for the moment being to you know, the thing you want to do and I've said this to Jared is that you need to generate kind of the same loyalty and brand loyalty and team loyalty that we have for the male teams now the only way that you're going to do that in the uk is if we take an example family in the uk well let's say for example that you are a family with two kids a a young boy and a young girl and you're watching arsenal play so okay fine the young boy will be a fan of arsenal because his dad's a fan of arsenal now if that team also has a female team and the little girl follows the female team, then she is also a fan of Arsenal. And that builds up that, you know, thing, because then the dad and the son will also support Arsenal ladies, because the same families that you see at the Arsenal games, you'll also see the Arsenal ladies games. Now, for people to build up that kind of belief and stuff like that, then you need to almost basically give yourself a male and a female team of of every team. So, you know, the Toronto Maple Leafs, would have their own female team. Now, I don't know how you do the draft, but the thing for that is it makes it so much easier for a team. If a team had to come out of nowhere and be a professional sports franchise, that's a big financial undertaking because you've got to have a rink. You've got to have a training facility. You've got to have training staff. You've got to have marketing people. There is so much. There is already a training facility. There is already a rink. There is already those marketing people. 
all you've got to do is give yourself another locker room and then a schedule. Now, okay, unfortunately, because at the moment the men are they, you know, a a bigger part of the sport at the moment that they won't always get the preferential time. But let's say, for example, the men are playing on the Sunday. The women can play on the Saturday. Let's say, for example, the men train 10 till 10 till 2 every single day during the week. Okay, fine. Unfortunately, females, your practice is 2 till 5. So, you know, you're, up, you're using the same facilities, but just doing it at different times of the day. And that is, I believe... It is, I believe, where I think they both want to end up at the end. And it, it, it is kind of interesting because the, the PWHPA basically doesn't really acknowledge that the NWHL exists, mm. uh, which is kind of strange because the NWHL has taken some steps to try and repair bridges that were burned. Um, and they were significant bridges, uh, you know, primarily with all of the national team players who used to play in the NWHL and left. Um, mm-hmm. They've taken steps, you know, Danny Rylan was a pretty polarizing figure in women's hockey. She stepped down as the head and founder of the NWHL. She's moved on. Uh, and that was almost some pressure from, ownership and other uh, entities trying to go, look, we need to repair some stuff and we Mm. may need to sacrifice Danny Ryland here to do that. Um, It doesn't seem to have worked very much. And the PWHPA has, is, is effectively ignoring the NWHL and just kind of waiting and hoping that the NH, that the NHL does effectively Gavin, exactly what you're Mm. saying. Uh, comes in and creates, you know, the the Lady Maple Leafs or, or you know, whatever mm-hmm. you would want to call them. Uh, I would venture to try and make your own kind of brand instead of just going, you know, the Lady well, yes, Maple Leafs. But yeah, it would be the, it would be under the same umbrella and the same. And you, they'd play at Scotiabank Arena and get the same facilities as the Toronto Maple Leafs and all that kind of stuff. Um, and that's what the NWHL struggles against is that, you know, the Toronto six were supposed to play out of a, um, I want to say they were supposed to play out of the Canland ice center in North York, which is where the York university lions still pl- uh, play as but well. The problem that I was, I was raising is right. that you're, you're trying to generate something out of nothing. And yeah. with the best in the world, these kind of teams and stuff like that, you've discussed with me, as much as they're brought together at a certain time, after that time, they dissolve. Mm-hmm. Now, the NWHL has shown no sign of slowing down because they're apparently going to expand to Montreal because mm-hmm. they had tried, they were originally planning on doing that when, excuse me, when the, C, okay. when the CWHL folded. Mm-hmm they were going to expand to Toronto and Montreal um, basically right away, but that was not an interesting avenue Mm -hmm. to be accepted by Canada at the moment. So they held off and now have the Toronto expansion team and apparently going to expand to Montreal. And that would make it seven teams in the league, Mm -hmm. but we've still got border issues and other things like that, that have to be can, can, yeah i can with i guess and then there's the whole other side of it where the pwhpa is basically uninterested and i say the pwhpa it's actually just the it's really just the national league players or the national team players 
because the PWHPA isn't really prioritizing the players that aren't the national team players, which is fair because the national team players are the stars. However, they're going to start to lose the players who are not national team players to the NWHL if the NWHL Mm. keeps expanding and whatnot because the PWHPA has a more difficult time compensating their players in any form Whereas at least if you're playing in the NWHL, you're going to get five grand, right? Which is nothing, but it's not absolutely nothing in comparison. Yeah, but the thing for me is, is that, so you've got to take your kind of, starting something from scratch is always difficult and starting a new idea is the most difficult thing in the world. And the NWHL has been around since 2014, 2015. Okay. But the thing is, is that you can either you can you can either look to history to give yourself guidance on how you're going to do this, or you can look at other sports around the world and see why they've now been successful. We have professional levels, um, high professional levels of female soccer in the UK. The and reason female being, basketball in in the United States. Yes, the reason being is that they went to all of the Premier League football teams and said, if you are a Premier League football team for equality you must now have a female team to which they went okay fine and they drafted from local areas and all this kind of stuff and and figured that out the thing was as soon as they signed up if you turned around let's say you know a 22 person squad is the minimum that you could have if you pay each of those the minimum salary that you can have in this league which i think was thirty thousand pound a year which is a very good living wage in the uk to a um an NHL franchise or a um, English uh, soccer franchise, 600, 700,000, you know, 700,000 uh, pound, pounds or dollars isn't the end of the world for them. They can afford that. The Toronto Maple Leafs... 700,000 $700, is the minimum uh, pay, the minimum salary in the NHL. Yeah. So you're saying the minimum for the minimum salary in the NHL, each one of these teams could have a female, you know, a female professional Team. lineup. Yeah. Now, the thing for that is, OK, yes, you start everyone off on minimum. But then the thing is, is that you then start to create that player market and player money where, OK, well, everyone's on 30,000. But then the Toronto Maple Leafs go, oh, well, we're going to pay everyone 30,000. But the Detroit Red, Red Wings look at Toronto's, uh, you know, starting center and go, actually, no, she's worth a lot more. We want her on our team so that we win. Yeah, They pay her £45,000 a year. And that's how you then start to build these players getting bigger salaries because people want to go and watch Maxine Frank play because she scores a lot. Marie-Philippe Poulain, we'll get an actual name in there. <laughs> You know, because she scores a lot and she's paid $75,000 a year. But then that also means that down the ranks of your kind of hockey playing career that you go, well, actually, you know, instead of the men going, right, well, I want to become a professional hockey player. The girls don't have that ethos at the moment, in my opinion, because mm-hmm, well, right. what's the highest they can get. They want to be good at it and they want right. to go on the national team. They want to go to the Olympic team. But the basically, yeah, the high, basically the highest they can get is the national team. And that's very, very, very difficult in Canada and the United States. So really the highest you can achieve is university and college div- division. Yeah. So one, after university and college, there's nothing further. And you get just taken advantage of by the schools. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. And then um, I was going to graduate. Bye-bye. 
Thankfully, right. in NCAA hockey, it's not as bad as NCAA basketball, but we'll, we'll, we won't get into that because that's a whole other. <laughs> I'm, I'm wondering if there's. Yeah. John, sorry. I'm, I'm wondering if there's any point in time where, like, you can. Because I know, Jared, you're with the, the salary cap. That's like a huge no no. You don't like it. You'd rather yeah. soft cap. Yeah. I wonder if you could use, and this sounds terrible to be like, use the female team as a, but like, I wonder if there can be an incentive there to be like, okay, hey, the more you pay the women, the more you pay this like equitable team, mm-hmm. um, the more we can work with your salary cap, the more we can extend it out. Maybe it's based off how much you pay the female players. Um, and you idea. can add that on to the NHL like the cap for the teams and then that way it kind of works both ways so nhl fans relief for yeah and then nhl fans will actually i think start to give a shit more about how much you pay the women because then if you don't pay the women enough you're not gonna have enough room on your cap you know to get the players that these guys want so uh, maybe maybe that's something they can look into at some point but i think you start out with gavin's You've got to tie the two together for a short period of time. I think Even so. if it's such a thing as, you know, for, from a sponsor standpoint, the, the conversation with the marketing group is going to be very easy. Okay, a bunch of, you know, we can all admit as three men in this thing, when we want to go and watch hockey, we want to do it late in the evening, we want to eat, and then we want to get a bit drunk and we want to watch it. With the best will in the world, that's not very family friendly, is it? Depends where you sit, I think. Depends where you sit. <laughs> But this is another thing that you can draw and go. They've done it well in soccer in the UK. Let's see what we can draw from that. The games that Arsenal ladies play take place at 12 o'clock on a Saturday. Now, that doesn't sound like the same time that the rest of us want to go and watch sport. But if you're a family with kids, 12 o'clock on a Saturday to go and watch the females play hockey, that brings in your marketing. That's another group of, you know, let's say you don't fill the stadium, but, you know, that's 20, 30,000 people come in and watch it. Make tickets a bit cheaper great but let's say you know 20 20,000 would fill a hockey stadium okay let's say for example (laughs) that you then want to make it some way where you want to get the male fans interested okay fine well let's say that the points that your team scores over the top of the year translate into millions of dollars and then that goes on the top of your salary cap so if your female team wins now i wouldn't want to have it for that for the rest of time but if your female team wins which encourages spending money on it then you have more salary cap, which you go, well, we need the female team to win this year because we need another 1.6 million so that we can pay this new goalie. There you go. You've now got the men interested in watching the female game. Yeah, you start to invest in the team because you you have to and and not because somebody's telling you to. The only only counterpoint I see to that is that the richer teams will benefit a lot more and get all the talented women as well, whereas the not as rich teams will have difficulty paying for their women's team on top of then trying to get more cap relief and and all that stuff. It's all... Very financial. I don't discredit. I think it's a brilliant idea. I think even that even, would be the that would be the 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 hockey man's. Yeah, you know, it would need to be in bands. Financial. Like if it was a percentage of like yeah. you know how much of a percentage is it that you're paying your women team of the men's team? So how much of a percentage for the men's team are you paying your women's team? So it's not based on an actual numerical value. You know, oh, you're paying your men's team. Yeah. The worst the worst part about it is that the NHL as a league seems to continuously kick the can down further down the street about 
doing anything with women's hockey. You know, they've had multiple opportunities to get involved and they keep going, oh, but we don't want to get involved yet. Oh, not yet, not yet. And what they keep they Jared, like, thinking about they it. They keep well. Let me let me just explain what they keep doing because they say, "Oh well, we don't want to get involved until there's only one league." Well, there was one league for an entire year, and that was when the CWHL folded before the PWHPA came into existence. The NWHL was the only league, and they did not get involved. They waited, and guess what? that happened the pwhpa happened and now we're back to this two league thing even though the pwhpa isn't a league it's an association of players that are playing hockey against each other and it's mm. not structured as a league because it's not a league um, but, the thing but me- like they're trying to make it yeah. look like a league so it's confusing in that sense but it's still right. which is what i was telling you the other yeah. the other day from a fan's perspective yeah it's yeah. like it, why the, the pwhpa is is, is confusing other than you know you you they're banking on the fact that you want to watch them because of who they are, not because of the branding and, and the, the, the idea of having a team to mm-hmm. cheer for, right. You're going, Oh, I'm going to cheer for Natalie Spooner and Sarah nurse and, and yeah. Laura Stacy because they're from Toronto and I'm from Toronto and I like the women from Toronto. So I'm going to cheer for them. It's not, you know, Oh, here's the Toronto six. I'm going to cheer for the Toronto six because they're the Canadian team in the NWHL, right? It's different. But here's the thing. Like, I love like watching that. McDavid so, play. I love watching right. Sidney Crosby play. But I will always choose the Red Wings. Right. I don't care how bad they are because right. they've always been my team. So I don't, there's I don't the, care there's about the, what team you're on. And I, I'm not, I'm just not, I'm not going to watch you because of who you are. And there's the difference like, in, in fans, right? You've, you've got fans like Sean and you've got fans like myself and you're only appealing to the fans like myself with the PWHPA. So it's all very confusing. And the NHL is just continuing to disappoint when they keep kicking the the can down the the street right. as I've continued. I do think the PWHPA and WHL have to form a partnership. There's got to be some unity there. They've got to figure that out. Uh, yeah. And I, we had this conversation the other day or else it, it looks terrible from a business perspective. And I can understand why the NHL doesn't want to get involved because it's so messy right now with those two. Um, mm-hmm. It's not it's not worth it for them to get involved. It's so. it's messy, but it it in my opinion, it would be so easy for them to clean up the mess, but they don't want to be the people that come in and go, oh, we're going to clean up the mess now. They just want right. well, them but that's, to that's sort That's good, it though, out. because then you have a bunch of old-ass white dudes coming in and going, we're going to tell the women how to right. run their leagues. That's good. So I agree with that, being like, you guys need to figure it out independently, and then we can partner. Right. That's cool. That's healthy. That's sustainable. My, my one thought when jared said you know sorry jared or bell said that final thought you'd have poor teams struggling and then you'd have the rich team buying that helps your market even more because if the poor teams can't afford to buy the most expensive players their only option is to develop people which is Mm -hmm. your way of bringing more and more people into the league because they go do you know what we can't afford to buy hillary knight the female austin matthews but we can (laughs) hillary knight yeah, but we can bring in the young version while she's not that expensive, sign her to a contract and get three years out and then she, you know, sells for a lot of money. Right. Basically, we're we're bad, so we're gonna draft the next Hillary Knight out of college and develop right. her because, because she's because, awesome. Yeah, amazing players don't 
don't always go number one. Look at hey, look, guys, a bunch of white guys just figured out how to fix women's hockey while talking over a female. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> thanks, Sean. Sorry, someone Gavin, had to Gavin's, Gavin's canceled. No, no, you're right. Yeah, you're right. But... You're right. Gavin's canceled. Your host, you can mute him. Speaking, speaking of being canceled, our last topic pertains to the article that I sent. I got to do this you. quick because then I got to, I got to run. Yeah, I get like maybe fourteen minutes. Yeah, that's fine. So Tim Peel of the NHL is a very um, prestigious referee, been refereeing over a thousand games in his fifties. Mm. Um, happened to get caught on a hot mic, basically saying that he was looking for a penalty against Nashville the Nashville Predators uh, on, I believe it was Tuesday night of this week uh, against the Detroit Red Wings. He was within, within 18 hours told that he was no longer going to be refereeing any more NHL games now or in the future. And on top of that, he was set to retire at the end of this season his retirement game, which is a very big thing for NHL officials. And this is why I have my refereeing shirt in the back, uh, my jersey itself. So the referees always have this big game that's their final game. It was already scheduled for Tim Peel. There was going to be a big hoopla. You know, he's, he's a, been around for decades, I believe. And now he doesn't get to do that because he was caught on live microphone saying what goes on in the nhl what does it doesn't make sense to me because yeah this is what happens in the nhl they don't call the rules they call what they think is best for the game and look you can look at all the penalties throughout every game that has ever been played in the nhl at least in the cap era and I'm, I'm going to restrict it to the cap era because that's what I know because I'm a 25 year old. Um, well, 26 now, actually, geez. Um, I know in the cap era penalties are always basically even one team has six penalties. The other team is five. One team is two penalties. The other team has two penalties. One team has four penalties. Garbage. The other team has three penalties because you can almost predict at this point how an NHL game is going to be officiated. If the Toronto Maple Leafs get two penalties in a row, you can guarantee that the Ottawa Senators are going to take the next penalty. It does, Austin Matthews could get, decapitate someone on the, on the Ottawa Senators, and they would somehow find a penalty against Ottawa. It's like what Sean, a specific example, Sean, of what you sent me when Nathan McKinnon got slew-footed and punched in the head and his interfered with back and and hit someone in the face and he got a high sticking penalty because he was airborne and could not because fully control his body right he took a penalty because of the penalty that was on him penalizable is that a word (laughs) yeah i guess so like like because of a hit that deserves a penalty and because of something that happened because of something that happened to him he was penalized because he did not directly control his body because he was airborne because of something that should have been penalized against the other team. Right. It's now, terrible. So this is the issue with the NHL, and I think we, we've kind of discussed it before about where the rules are not called. And there's two issues 
here that I find. First of all, that the rules are not called. They they do not call the rules. And yeah. it's an accepted thing in the NHL because you'll have coaches come and complain. We've got eight penalties and the other team's got two. What's up with that? It there's an for whatever reason, there's an expectation in professional hockey that things are gonna be even and fair. Where you could have the the violent Boston Bruins of the early 2010s just destroying people. And somehow, I mean, you can go to the 2011 Stanley Cup final. The Vancouver Canucks, who were a much cleaner team than the Boston Bruins, somehow were equally penalized to the Boston Bruins in that Stanley Cup final. Why? Because that's what they do. And they've done it for years. So not only... not only is the is the game officiated incorrectly, this this official was fired for doing the expected job that is doing the job that is expected of him by literally everyone in the NHL. Okay, he's a product of the officiating. He's department. he's an exact he's product, product of the system that they have created, and he was fired because of it. But I, I expect he might sue. Yeah. Um, well, the, but the problem- sorry, I say fired, but oh, it, no, he wasn't. Though, he right? hasn't been fired because he was shut down. Basically, he has been told that he's not officiating any more games, but he's not been relieved why of his we, duties. Why are we? Why are we discussing all of this when the most, the biggest, and most crucial problem is the fact that to the world, it's just been shown and admitted that the refs in this game were looking for things so right but but so elliot friedman every game up to this point when he's admitted this can now be brought into question yeah every final everything yes because basically what he's just said is yeah um it would be like a formula one race the guy who sits and officiates the formula one race having individual buttons that controlled the amount of horsepower each car had. It would all be pointless. The NHL at the moment has the same level of credibility as WWE. Yeah. And if you because look... Because they're both decided by someone. Someone decides the outcome before the game's even begun. That referee's coming yeah. to the building and knows which way, you know, he knows, well, I need to find four penalties on this team. I need to find four penalties on that team. He do, well, they don't. They don't exactly do that, but they 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 get told. It's pretty you close. Know, yeah, they get told you have to have a feel for the game. So if you're not going to call penalties, you don't call penalties on anyone, and everybody gets away with everything. Right. But so this I, is the issue with with the difference between Elliot Friedman was on a podcast talking about this. There's there's the difference between um, game management, whatever that means. And then calling the rule book. I mean, I, for whatever uh, reason, there's this weird overlap where they're like, let's manage the game to be this thing where they basically control how the game's going um, without acknowledging the rules. And then when they want to, they can just take the rules because it's up to their discretion and just shove them up the game management's ass <laughs> and decide, uh, you know, what's going to be what and, and how we're going to call things, right? Like the high stick. We're going to call the high stick. We're not going to call the original hit that caused the penalty in the first place. I think if there's a res- like a, if there's a hit that results in another player's stick hitting your face 
and the hit was illegal, the hit deserves to be penalized. The hit is the thing that caused the, the subsequent situation to occur. <laughs> Just call right. the damn rules, man. It's not that fucking hard. Sorry. It, it's really not. <laughs> And Sean's I'm so sick and tired of I'm I'm sick and tired of watching these stupid hockey games where these absolute morons decide what the hell the game's gonna look like. It's not your job. Your job is to call the stupid rules that the NHL's decided upon, mm-hmm. and, and that's it. But they've decided that well, no 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 no. There's this little society, and we all know it too. Every hockey fan knows it. And this Elliot talked about this too is that we know there's these makeup calls. We know there's this like kind of evening out. Everyone knows about it. No one wants to admit it. And then that's when you get into the business side of things and then the hockey game side of things where the NHL now has to save face because somebody has admitted that's like the casinos coming out and being like, yeah, dude, everything's rigged against you. Right. We all know that. They're not going to come out and market that. Are you kidding? That looks so bad. Nobody's going to go to your shit anymore. Nobody's going to go. No one's going to turn around and say what the odds are of winning the lottery. Like Exactly, right? Exactly. And so... Nobody's going to be like, we purposely place this ticket in this town or, or, you know, we have these slot machines that pay better than these ones. No one talks about that. We know about it. But yeah. as soon as soon as you come out and you say, hey, hey, there's shady shit going on, that that screws your brand over. Right. And they had an issue in the NBA with a referee that was gambling. Hmm. Um, and and that that is apparently the reason why the nhl was so swift in dealing with this problem um because did you did you hear that on the 31 thoughts podcast yeah dude he he (laughs) he brought up some amazing points like elliot is so intelligent and i love his i love his outlook on it i don't love the fact that like he kind of is in the pool of like well that's the game yeah yeah like game management and and the rules i'm like what do you mean game management and the rules it's hockey the rules are the game so let me jump in about game management so as as an as an official of minor hockey game management you're told to manage the game in the sense of you know call penalties early so that you set the precedents, right? Like, obviously, again, don't look for penalties. They never, they've never said look for penalties. What they, what they have said though is, I mean, that is your penalty. Job, if penalties what are occurring, right? If penalties are occurring, call them early to set the precedents for the rest of the game, so that things do not get out of hand. Mm-hmm. Some referees don't do that. I've witnessed games where nothing gets called until the third period and suddenly there's 12 penalties in the third period and you're like mm. that is poor game management yeah so i think the 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 word the element and the prerogative of the word game management so i've only ever played rugby to a, a reasonably high level is in rugby the refs are told if it's dangerous like you almost have two bands of rules if it's dangerous you you stop there and then and you deal with it but if it's a rule that's almost like a technicality or something like that, and it doesn't have an adverse effect on the rest of the game, play through. So I had a situation where I was playing, uh, you know, playing rugby, and I was on the right-hand side of the scrum. Now, as per the rules, if the scrum half has got the ball on the floor, I can't touch him. But as soon as that ball's come off the floor, he is an eligible player and I can tackle him. Now, this scrum half, it was his first game... And I saw him take the ball off the ground. Did you I wreck start- him? Oh, I ruined his life. 
because I came round at about like level height. He lifted the ball up the ground, saw me, put it back down. Now you're not allowed ah. to do that. Mm. So as per the game management, the referee saw that. I'd already tackled him, rip, ripped the ball from him and was 50 yards that way about to score a try. The other team turned around and went, but the ball was on the ground. And the ref went, well, it didn't affect the game because yeah. there, if you'd wanted to have break and broke that down, now, yes, the ball was on the ground, but there's the lifting of the ball up and down. Now, if you look at that, there's almost, yes, admittedly, I've caused myself a penalty because I had started moving when the ball was still on the ground. He's reacted to me. But if he had held, held on to the ball, I tackled him and then he put it down. The situation, you know, that situation ends up the same way, no matter how you call the penalties on that side. Right. It's, it's, a, bit, it's a bit like, you know, it's a bit like one guy cross-checks his opponent and, he, and the other guy turns around and slashes him. Are you going to call both? Or are you going to call neither? Right? Like, because you're not going to call one. You shouldn't be calling one or the other, especially if it's away from the play and it doesn't affect right. anything. Now, if you're cross-checking somebody in front of the net and they fall and they don't have a chance to actually screen the goalie anymore, you took them mm -hmm. out of play by doing something illegal. That yeah, hundred percent. Call that. But they don't though. Right. They, they just don't. decide like like it's so inconsistent. I hate watching hockey now. I'm a huge hockey fan. I fucking hate watching the NHL. I don't like it. Because it's, it's not it's not what it's not hockey in the sense of what we've all grown up playing, mm. and I've said this for years. Where the NHL, for whatever reason, and this is the official reason now, it's a different type of hockey compared to what literally everyone else plays. It's why when you send NHLers to the Olympics, they get 18 penalties a game because they don't know how to play within the rules that are actually laid out by the rest of the hockey world. It's just like the NHL. International NHL. hockey is so much more black and white, and they're mm. so much more consistent with their calls. I don't care yeah. if you don't like international hockey. The hockey is so much better because you're mm -hmm. not sitting there screaming at the TV because the referee decided to call some BS. Like, right. I, you're, you're I mean, not, it happens you're still, but... You're wondering what the, what the rules are. Because right. somebody just it's got tripped in the corner, but they just right in front of the ref and they just decided not to call it because it wasn't the right time for a penalty based on their judgment. And that's mm -hmm. what has been admitted here. It's, now, it's, sorry, Jared. The, go ahead, Gav. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. It's such a difficult one to call because there is uh, the problem is, is that at a high level, if you start to call every single penalty, you ruin the flow of the game. Now, there's two, there's two responses to that. You either play what you have in rugby, which is if your team has the ball and you're fouled, you play advantage. The referee, if you know, if I play the ball or something like that and someone 10 metres away that isn't physically affecting me gets tackled in an unfair way or something like that, the referee will yell advantage, which to me, I know now as me, as the team, the next stop in play, the referee is going to stop and go, you know, or we lose the ball. At that point, we take the penalty. That yeah. allows the game to keep flowing. There's also the thing as well is that you need to have a box of rules which are your dangerous rules and a box of rules which are your technical rules. If something that's under a technical rule which doesn't injure a player comes up, you go, right, well, okay, that was a bit rough or that was a you know, that was that was outside what we would have allowed, but there's a bit of rough and tumble going both ways with both teams. We'll allow it. 
for the moment being because okay yes he bumped him a bit hard into the boards but five minutes ago you bumped him into the boards that's kind of thing that you can let go if it's anything dangerous that has to be called as by the book and letter of the law there can't be any interpretation there can't be any thought if it's dangerous it gets called then and there i remember very very prominently in a game of rugby i played I jumped up on a line out, caught the ball, and my next very thing was I threw it off to someone. At that point, I don't have the ball. One of their guys came in and wiped me out. I was five foot up in the air, and I landed like that. I didn't have any control. There was nothing I could do. I went down backwards, and I could have hit my head. Our team was running towards the try line about to score. The referee didn't go, well, I'm going to let this play out for the, you know, the flow of the game. No, that person has just been fouled in a dangerous manner, Blew the whistle, stopped everything. Our guy that was running towards the try line was told to stand on the spot where he was, at which point he then turned around to our coach and went, right, it is your decision. We either enforce the penalty after the try, which you are more than likely to score, or it all comes back and we enforce the penalty from the spot of foul. Because then you've still allowed the flow of the game. The, the game still continues how it was. But a dangerous penalty has to be called. It is an that, interesting. It is an interesting idea because hockey does have the delayed penalty call, mm. in effect. But they do it for everything. Somebody could literally be dead in the corner, mm. but his no, that needs to be called right then. Right. Well, it depends. It depends on possession, and it depends on it, it what, does depend on possession a bit. Yeah. Um, but I mean, so, I mean, well, some like well, somebody could be dead in the corner. His and and he's like trying to get up slowly. His team's got the puck in the offensive zone. The referees go, well, we don't want to disrupt a scoring opportunity here. And they don't blow it right away, right? I've seen that no, happen that all the be, time. That should be, person's injured, stop. Yeah. Everyone stand where they are. Get, get that person seen to make sure he's okay. Okay, right. Ref, do you, you know, coach, do you want to play? We, we'll get your guy off, get him hurt. You can bring on someone to replace him. Do you want to continue playing before we enforce the penalty or after? Because I guarantee you, if you turn around to most coaches and go, okay, yeah, you've got a fast break with two guys. We're going to give one of their guys two minutes. Do you want a two-minute power play where you can bring on healthy you know, healthy legs? Absolutely. The coach is going right. to go, yeah, we'll right. two-minute power play. Yeah, right. You're going to so the, the, face off in the offensive zone, and, and that's that. Right. The issue, though, with the whole, like, having a box of, of you know, your, your dangerous... Yeah. Uh, calls in the NHL is that every uh, like almost every single rule can be every like, has single, that dangerous yeah. clause to it so it's it like does. beneath it and then it's like interpretation and it's like just lay it out what the hell is it because this is the issue with headshots it's the issue with hitting from behind and it's the issue with even high sticks and what constitutes a major or a double minor and you're like man yeah. and actually according just like, be you know if your stick hits anywhere on the other person's head that is a head check same as it is in lacrosse mm. you know it doesn't matter what part of your stick hits the other person's head it doesn't matter what part of that other person's head you hit whether it was accidental it. whether it was on purpose it's still a head check sorry yeah. yellow card one of the four things we have to call yellow cards for yeah there's two things behind this which i gotta be honest I, one of them is one of my favorite moments ever of mine and jared's friendship the first one is, in lacrosse, a head check is the clearest thing in the world. Do you want to know why? Because you hear a metal stick hit a metal face mask, and 
even if the ref isn't looking and goes, I got, called on one. I got called on one once, the ref was looking the other way and heard the ping of my stick hit the guy's face mask, at which point the ref went head checked for the 13. And I went, you were looking the other way. And he went, yeah, but I heard your stick hit his face mask. Explain <laughs> that noise any other way. Off you go. The other one, and this was how simple lacrosse rules are. At one point we were playing an away game. I was on my own and went down to get a ground ball. From 30 yards out, a guy came with his stick and hit me in the back. At which point I was laid the out because I'd been hit with a metal stick in the back from 30 yards out. I couldn't get up. The ref then allowed the game to continue, at which point Jared marched his ass onto the field, grabbed the ref and went, how in the fuck was that not a check in the back? He's still down, by the way. I didn't grab him. You didn't grab him. I don't know, Jared. My face was in the dirt. Yeah, face was in the dirt. Jared yeah, ran onto the field and didn't grab him, but I punched him out. I took a he few. He started beating yeah. him on the ground. So, because I was I was injured, so I was and and our head coach couldn't go. So I was the honorary head coach for the day, mm -hmm. uh, for a sport that I had played for about a month. But you so I didn't you know pick what up was quickly going on, but I fine. knew that that was an illegal check in the back and that that was a penalty. And so I took a few steps out onto the field and just lost it on this ref because mm -hmm. my best friend was, you know, eating mud. Mm -hmm. I had torts guy had Easy broken torts. back in two. I mean, the situation from this is a referee's perspective. If you just watched a guy got absolutely laid out, the guy's taken the ball off me and is running down the field. And I am still on the ground with my face in the dirt. Like, I haven't got up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I've had that in hockey before, man. I've gotten hit in the back and, like, gotten a nice little tingle down my spine. And I was, like, Ooh. scared of moving. Oh, yeah, it was brutal. And I was like, oh, shit. And, like, I could feel my spine just compress. And I was like, oh, God, I'm sitting in the neutral zone. And then Louisville, they got the puck and they take it in the zone and they score it on the play. Because the ref just didn't just didn't blow it down because they had possession, and I'm like, bro, they are the reason that the reason they have possession is because I got hit illegally. Yeah, they're the reason that I am dead on the like, on the ice right now. So yeah, let's, dumb. Let's say that was legal. Let's say that that checks are legal. Like as a ref, or at least this is what I've been taught for refing, your number one job is to ensure that everyone's safe. That is your yeah. job to make sure, you know. Doesn't matter if they're playing, doesn't matter if it's the coaches, doesn't matter if it's that weird guy all the way at the back of the stadium. Your job is to make sure that everyone. <laughs> yeah, you. Um, make sure everyone's safe. If I have a player who, you know, gets laid out, but it was legal for whatever reason, if they haven't got up straight away, you stop the game and go, Are you okay? You alive? Yeah. And obviously that's not a mandate in the NHL either because they don't seem to care about whether or not a player is alive half the time. Um, so and it's actually, it was actually another point on the uh, 31 Thoughts podcast that Elliot Friedman brought up where apparently players are actually upset by the lack of calls on hits from behind. Hits Good, numbers. they should be. Did you right. see the Lucci hit last night? No, but they're not getting called. Bro, hits it, hits Appleton from behind. Appleton smokes his head into the boards, okay? He's like woozy, obviously. Right. And then a guy approaches Lucic. Lucic just clocks him in the face. 
with a, with his glove on. And I'm like, dude, Lucic. the guy wasn't even, he didn't even drop his gloves. He literally just went up to Lucic because he's intelligent and just went, yo, dude, what's wrong with you? You can't do that. And then Lucic yeah. was just like, <laughs> you're like, Rocky, bro, like calm down. Yeah. Oh so gosh. this is, so the, these, this is the issue with the NHL now. And I, I have, when he got looked- a two minutes, I think. Oh, good. Awesome. For roughing, probably, because he clocked the guy in the head instead of probably, you know, calling yeah, him for the penalty didn't. that was the reason that he turned around and clocked someone else. I'll have to, I'll have to, I'll have to send it to you. Yeah, yeah. let me look um, at I it. Gotta, I got to go, though. Yeah. I'm sorry. So I have to go because I, I got to go I was just before gonna this wrap. place closes. I was, I was just going to wrap up okay. um, because this, this, is, this is the thing. This is the thing. <laughs> no with, bottoms. Yeah, great. No, I'm kidding. I get, this, I get, this, is, okay. this is the problem with the NHL, and it's been a problem that I've alluded to for years that so many people have known about for decades because this has been happening at least since the 80s, I think, possibly even earlier than that. And But I have very little faith that the NHL is going to do anything about it because they've axed the guy who exposed them, they've saved face, and they've moved on. Because if you look at every game since this happened, since Tim Peel was suspended, every game since then has still had even penalties. They've, they've been calling more penalties, sort of. Sean well, they've been calling been actual like penalties. what been, is considered a penalty in the right. rule book. Yeah, like a cross they, check been, in front of the net where a guy falls, regardless of if the, he has possession or, or not, they right. call it. And I was like, that's cool. I like to see that. Right. Stop with the even penalty shit, though. But Done with this. Yeah, they're, they're still keeping now it's, the penalties even. It's also ruined my team's integrity now because... They're playing Nashville. We know Detroit is an awful team. And then this guy's like, we're trying to, you know, we're trying to make calls for Nashville. It's like, dude, no. Just let Detroit be the shit team. Let Nashville <laughs> pummel them. Yeah. And they did. It was like 7-1, I think. Um, and that's that's fine. Like, we're cause, I'm okay yeah, with cause, that. Cause don't don't come out, though, and be like, we're, we're calling penalties against the other team that Detroit's playing for their benefit. I yeah. don't want to hear that as a fan. And what you're doing Don't is care. You're, you're penalizing the more skilled teams to make up for the other teams, right? You're you're fabricating rules to penalize the other the, the more skilled teams to and are effectively helping out the less skilled, more abusive teams because they take more penalties. So therefore the other team that they're playing, despite the fact that, I mean, Austin Matthews, for example, has taken like two penalties in the last year and a half, but he gets a a slashing penalty because he swung his stick in the, like swung his stick and hit the guy's stick, not his hands, his stick, but they call slashing because, well, Ottawa just got the last two penalties, so we got to find one for Toronto, and there's one that we can make into a penalty. But the funny thing is, that is a penalty. That is the definition of a slashing penalty because we no, looked it's this over. Hands. If it's not on the hands, it's not slashing. Sure, not, no, we looked, we looked, I am going to be late. We looked this over because a slashing penalty is defined by any swing of the stick Regardless of if it even touches the player or not, if it's towards the player, that's supposed to be a slashing penalty. They don't call it the way it's written. Like, right. We we look this up. The problem. rules are are fucking weird as shit because you can swing your stick at somebody and if you don't hit them, slashing penalty. And also, if right. you're going for the puck, I guess like it, it depending on how hard you swing can also be 
considered a slashing. And if you miss the puck and hit them, obviously that's a slash. But like, yeah. it's weird. But you got guys in the NHL that are like, they're losing fingers because they're getting their shit slashed. Yeah, and um, it, it's not getting cold. And and like they're just like okay with it. They're like, this is like a normal thing. Whatever, this happens. It was a freak accident. Right. It's like no. Right. So yeah, that's where we are. We wish <laughs> better luck next week. Um, we didn't even pick any winners for this weekend. I'm gonna go. Well, no, what I think we should, what I think we should do, because obviously people have got to go and stuff like that, is um, we should all send our top of uh, the, the top pole. three finishing in the Formula One. Yeah. Um, Jared will post it on the Instagram. Uh, and then we'll go from there. Good idea. Awesome. We wish better luck next week to all the losers, uh, specifically the NHL, because they are the biggest losers for forever. Anyway, anyone up for Rocket League later, quickly before people go? Uh, depending on what Sean has to do, we'll message. Um, I should be back. I should be back at five here, so nine o'clock your time. Okay, I can fit a few in if if that's okay. That's fine by me, man. Okay. We'll do that. Okay. Bye. Cool. I'll see you guys Bye. soon. Bye. Bye, guys.